Three days. A lot can happen in three days, right? Uh, things can change. Uh, significant events can happen. Obviously, things can change in an instant, but three days is a significant value of days. Three days. Think about it. Have you ever used the expression, uh, a three-day weekend or a four-day weekend? A weekend usually comprises of how many days? Two, except that you start celebrating the weekend on Friday, Friday right? <laughs> Everybody says and sings that, are you ready for the weekend? And it's Friday, day one of the weekend. In my household, my wife is so excited when it's Friday because her weekend has begun. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and Monday. And in reality, the weekend's only two days. It used to be the weekend was only one day. Uh, in the 20th century, uh, in the U.S., uh, the movement became uh, to give a two-day weekend so that uh, people like, with faiths, faiths like ours could celebrate the Sabbath. Before that, only the Christian day, quote-unquote common Christian day Sunday was celebrated. Uh, but early in the 20th century here in the U.S., we began to adopt the two-day weekend, both Saturday and Sunday. And now, of course, there's movements in different places to even limit the work week to less days than that. And the teachers say, amen, right? It'd be great if we only had a four-day work week. Um, like some people in certain professions and some people in other countries. I visited, my wife and I visited France uh, not too long ago, and uh, we spoke to a gentleman who lived there, and he, um, he said they have this very cool thing in France called a bridge day. So I was like, what is a bridge day? He says, let's say a national holiday, like the 4th of July or some other. By the way, they have like tons of national holidays, not like ours. Ours are like five or six. He says, let's say it lands on uh, a Tuesday. They'll also take Monday off because it's a bridge day. Let's say it lands on Thursday. They'll also take Friday off. This is a bridge day. He says, the French, we don't like to work. <laughs> so, so they can take as many days off as they want. But we, we're accustomed to the five-day work week and then celebrating two days off. But we love it when there's an extra day in there, right? Because you can do something with that third day. If you had Saturday, Sunday, and Monday off, those three days suddenly these, all these opportunities become available. You can take a trip. You can go someplace. You can drive someplace, visit. Three days is a significant block of time. Two days, we're used to that. But three days, the opportunities open up. A lot can happen in three days. It depends which three days they are, though. Like I said, if it's a weekend, the three days may afford you the ability to travel, visit a new place. And, and um, if you're like me, those three days go by really fast, right? When you had a plan to go somewhere, you had a vacation, three days can go by really fast. But three days in the middle of the week, those days go by so slow. You're counting the clock, watching the minute, especially if you're at work or doing tasks that you may not enjoy. Three days, three days, significant amount of time. A lot can happen. In fact... Lives can be changed in just three days. Would you open your Bibles, please? We've been studying the story of Jonah. We are in the book of Jonah, tiny little book, one of the minor prophets. And uh, we are in Jonah <clears throat> chapter 1. The Bible tells us, as you know the story, I'm going to review it quickly if you did not happen to be with us last week as we were um, taking a look at the story of Jonah, that the word of God came to Jonah Jonah was, in biblical terms, a prophet, a messenger from God. This was something that he had done and come to be 
And uh, Jonah was accustomed to receiving messages from God and then delivering those messages. And he wasn't so much a pastor like you, like you would think of uh, religious leaders now. He was a prophet. So his job was to go places and deliver messages, not necessarily to stay in relationship with people, but just to deliver the message. That's what a prophet is, a messenger. Receives the message from God and delivers the message. And the Bible tells us in verse 1, chapter 1, book of Jonah, that the word of God came to Jonah and told him, go. You remember the story. We kind of reviewed it last week. And, and God said to Jonah, I have a message for you to deliver, and I want you to go. And I want you to go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Now, this was usually the kind of messages that prophets get. Let me explain. Oftentimes, when, uh, when God needs to use a prophet to get his point across, is because somehow the people that God is trying to connect with have turned away from him. So God has to send a messenger to say, hey, if you look at historically in, in the Bible, God uses his prophets and messengers when he needs to get somebody's attention. Think about Nathan and Samuel. When God is, when God is trying to say something's amiss, he sends a prophet. God doesn't always use prophets when you are already connected with him. Then you are receiving the message directly. But in this case, the great city of Nineveh had stepped away from God. They did not believe, follow, or respect God. And there was great wickedness, God says here. So he tells uh, prophet Jonah to go and speak against it. So just so you know, this wasn't a task that he was unfamiliar with. He would have been called to do this kind of stuff before, to stand up and deliver a message that was going to step on some toes. The only difference here is that the great city of Nineveh was indeed that great. It was big and infamous for being wicked and for being a place where bad people did bad things. And the Bible tells us that when Jonah heard that particular instruction, not different from any that he had heard before, except the destination was different, that Jonah did not want to go. In verse 3, Jonah runs away, and he headed for Tarshish. And he went down to Joppa, where he found a ship that was going in the opposite direction. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord, to try to get away from God, to try to get away from what he had been called to do, from his life's purpose, to try to go in the opposite direction of what God had already told them he was, who he was. And you know the story, because we talked about it last week, that there... In the boat, he went down to the bottom and began to sleep, and then the boat began to be tossed around by the waves. We talked about last week how sometimes this is the way life works. Storms come. Sometimes those storms come as a result of your own actions. Sometimes the storms just come. There's no explanation for them. Sometimes God is trying to get your attention. Sometimes the devil is trying to knock you down. Storms come. And Jonah is in the boat, and he's asleep, and the people say something is not right. These are experienced sailors saying something is not right. This is, this is a storm we do not understand. Somebody is responsible for this, and then they start pointing the finger at each other, and eventually the finger lands on Jonah, and Jonah says, yes, it is me. We talked about this last week. And they said, what have you done? And rather than explain himself, or take blame, or say, you know what, I was supposed to go to, you know, I'm a prophet. He does say that part. Did you remember that? We talked about this. Jonah says, well, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord God of heaven, who made the heavens and the land. I'm a Hebrew. Who are you? What have you done? Who is your God? I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord God. What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he already told them. But Jonah says, you know what? 
don't turn the ship around. Don't head back. He just says, throw me overboard. Throw me over the side. Now, I don't know. Maybe Jonah was a strong swimmer. Maybe he was confident he could make it back to shore. I, I don't think so. I think Jonah knew fully well that this was a moment that God had been using the storm. He knew that because when they said, who's responsible for this? Jonah says, I'm responsible. And they said, what should we do to, make, uh, to appease your God? And he says, throw me over the side. Because Jonah was seeing a God who he had worked for, spoke on behalf of, but a God he did not yet understand. And I think that's one of the challenges that we're facing right here in our church and in our culture. We have over the last week uh, in our community been experiencing things that we do not understand. And we are coming face to face with a God that we know something about, but we do not fully comprehend. And in this moment, as the storm is tossing Jonah around and his fellow uh, sailors, Jonah says, I don't know how to respond to this God. The only thing I can think of that will appease him is if I die. So throw me over the side. Jonah doesn't seem to think that God wants him back. He seems to think that God wants to punish him. So when he interprets the storm and when the place is being tossed around, who's responsible for this? Jonah says, this is my fault, and now I need to pay the price. So throw me over the side. I think it's important for us to recognize that many times in circumstances when you and I, when in the middle of life storms, have interpreted that as God trying to punish us. And yes, the Bible is full of references that speak about God's love expressed in his discipline. But does God simply want to punish you for punishment's sake? Jonah seemed to think so. He says, pick me up and throw me into the sea and it will become calm. I know that this is my fault that this great storm has come upon you, so just get rid of me. Do you think he knew, obviously you know the rest of the story, but do you think he knew what was going to happen next? Do you think he was aware? Do you think, uh, you know, in, in Tabba school they had told him, well, if you ever get thrown in the sea, my big fish might come and get you like we do now. Um, do you think he had any kind of idea that God had prepared something else? Do you think he had fathomed that, okay, you're going to throw me over the sea, then God's going to rescue me, then I'm going to go. He had, did, did he have any sense of what God was going to do next? I think he really misjudged the heart of God, and that's what I'm trying to talk to you about today. I think he really misjudged the heart of God. So there in the ship, there's this moment. He's still on board where all these non-believers, they prayed to their own gods, and their own gods didn't listen because their own gods are not alive like Jonah's God is. And they look and they said, what should we do? There was a moment there. There was a moment that the prophet Jonah had seen and experienced in his life before. There was a moment there where Jonah had gone to other places, not in above, but other places, and had said to them, repent, for the God of heavens has spoken, and he wants you to change your ways. And people would turn, and they would be cut to the heart, and they would say to Jonah, oh, okay, what do we do? And Jonah would look at them, and he would say, forsake all other gods. Turn and believe in Jehovah. Come. And this moment is happening on the boat. The, the, the sailors had, this was like a, this was a great moment because they had prayed to their gods. They're not listening. But now they turn to Jonah and they say, 
you have an answer. What do we do? And Jonah has this opportunity, this great opportunity in the middle of the storm to express the true heart of God. But what does he do? He tells them that God is trying to kill him. This is my fault. Throw me over the side and God will be appeased. He tells them that in the heart of God, it's not, God doesn't just know where you are, Jonah. The heart of God wants to destroy you for being disobedient. He wants to punish you. And I think Jonah really misinterprets the heart of God. And he blows it. He has this moment where everyone is watching and listening. Yes, he is responsible. That's all true. Yes, he is running away from God. That's true as well. Yes, he has this opportunity to come clean and come through, even in the ship. But he misjudged the heart of God. And he thinks to himself, God won't take me back. I am no longer useful. And the only thing that will make God happy is if I am gone from the face of the earth. Pretty dramatic, right? But have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt, thought to yourself, similar thoughts? We're faced with life storm, caught in the middle of something, maybe something that you are personally responsible for. Have you ever felt like, I don't think God is going to take me back from this one. I had my chance and I blew it. Have you ever felt like, I can no longer be of any use to God. I may as well just quit. I may as well just give up. I may as well just be thrown over the side. That's what Jonah felt. And they threw him. And he began to sink. I was thinking last week what must have been going through his mind as he was sinking. You know, maybe there was a sense of relief. That you don't have to struggle anymore with this constant battle in my head about am I doing the right thing or I was unfaithful to God. Maybe there was some relief, although I don't, I don't think so. Because the Bible tells us that God is the source of everything that's good. And apart from God, all we find is torment. And Jonah is symbolically sinking away from God. So they throw him over the ship, and the men on the ship cry out to Jonah's God. They say, oh, Lord, do not hold us accountable for this man's death. We didn't want to do it. Don't put his blood on our hands. Don't put his life on our hands. We are just doing as you please. Do you see that? You see the misjudgment of God's character right there? Do you think that's what God wanted from Jonah, to die? Do you, I know you know the story, but do you put yourself in a moment there? Do you think that God was trying to throw the storm to kill him? Do you think God just wants to erase everyone who disobeys his will? Do you think God just wants to get rid of you whenever you mess up? Is that what you think the heart of God is? Well, I, I think we're tempted to feel that way. Especially when we make serious mistakes in our relationships, in our business dealings. When we mess up big, we tend to think that that's who God is. 
And so these men are saying, please, don't hold us accountable. We're doing what you want, but that's just so wrong. That's not what God wants. And you know how I know that's not what God wants? Because when Jonah threw himself over the side and he was sinking to the depths, the Bible says that God sent a fish, right? If God wanted him dead, well, he would have killed them a long time ago. He is, after all, God. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days. Three days. As Jonah began to sink down in the depth, this fish of hope came and scooped him up. Had to be a big fish, maybe a whale, maybe some other kind of fish, maybe, maybe an angel in the shape of, I don't really know. But the Bible tells us that this, this fish, this creature, this thing swallowed him up and that he was in the fish for three days and three nights. And I've been thinking about that. I've been struggling with that. I've been wondering about three days, and I've been thinking about how three days can significantly change the life of someone, both for good and for bad. Two days are just kind of, okay, you just get through one day and the next, but three days seems to be just enough time. And Jonah is in the fish for three days. I was asking myself, uh, and we've talked about this before, you know, what would it feel like to be inside of a fish, obviously smelly, and who knows what else is in there, I don't know. Seawater makes me ugh, gag anyway, and maybe there's sea. I don't really know. But it must not have been comfortable. It wasn't like, you know, there was a lazy boy in there that he could sit down or Netflix that he could watch for three. No, it wasn't like go to your room and stay there. You ever thought about that? I mean, you send the kids to the room, they're like, okay, cool, because they got all kinds of stuff in their room, read books, play with their toys, take a nap. It wasn't like that. God wasn't putting Jonah on timeout. But have you ever asked yourself why he stayed there for three days? I mean, if I wanted to die and this fish kind of saved me from my drowning death, wouldn't I wonder for a little bit, like, what, what's going on here? And he's in this fish for three days. Why, Jonah? Like, I would have probably, I don't know, I'll, maybe I'm giving myself too much credit. I would think maybe after the first 24 hours, I'm like, you know what? Something's not right here. Maybe I should talk to God about this. But three days. The Bible tells us that he stayed there in the fish for three days. And I begin to think and wrestle, and maybe you are there too. Why did he have to stay in there for three days? Why couldn't the light bulb just come on after maybe the first 15 minutes? Or the first day or the second day? Why three days? Now, theologians uh, who study the Word of God, you know, tell us that there's, a, there's symbols here. There's symbols at play. And that Jonah is, a, is, a, is an archetype of, of Jesus himself who would be in, in the belly of the fish or in the tomb or in the ground for the, for the three days. There's some parallels here. There's, there's something that's going on. But ignore that for just a second and just wrestle with me on why Jonah had to be in the, in the belly of the fish for three days. The Bible says that in the fish he began to pray. This is chapter 2. You can follow with me. And he says to God, In my distress I called the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave I called for help. It's striking because 
He begins his prayer here, the, the one that's written here. He begins this prayer in the past tense. I called and God answered me. But he's actually inside the fish. He's still inside the fish. But he claims that God has answered him. From the depths of the grave I called for help and you listened to my cry. Except that he is still in the depths of the grave. Something's happening there. He's speaking as if something has already come to help him, but he's still in fish. From inside the fish, Jonah prays, and he says, I I cried out and you heard me. And then he begins to give God a certain kind of credit. He says, you hurled me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and and the currents and the waves, all the waves and breakers swept over me. And I said, I have been banished from your sight, but I will look again to your holy temple. It's a very different expression of what he's going on in his heart and in his mind and who he thinks God is. Because he says, before, when he was on the boat, when the stuff was swirling and he was hurled into the sea, he thought to himself, I will never see God again. Throw me over the side. God wants me dead. But in this moment, down in the fish, he says, all this stuff, yes, all that happened, he says, but I will look again toward your holy temple. Deep surrounded me. Seaweed wrapped around my head. Yeah, I told you there was seaweed in there. The roots of the man, to the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever, and yet you brought me in my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. But he's still in the fish. He hasn't been brought up anywhere physically. He's still in the fish. He has, he's still down there somewhere. When my life was ebbing away, I remember the Lord, and my prayer rose to you and to your holy temple. He's speaking this as if it's already happened, even though it hasn't. Do you know what that's called? Prophecy. It's speaking as if you understand the heart of God's intent, even before it has happened. And prophet Jonah begins to prophesy on his own life. You know how difficult that must have been for him? Especially given the fact that he ran away from his life's calling. That's why he's here in the first place. And there in the bottom of the the ocean, in the belly of this fish, he has to do the thing that he was running away from. To receive a message from God and to speak that. And to give God room, authority, and power over the situation. So then he says, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that, God, that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. And what I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. You've read the story. We've, done, we've studied it here before. And, and Jonah begins to speak in a, in, in a phraseology and with, with words and expressions that believe and express his belief in the true heart of God. That the God of the universe is not intent on trying to wipe out everyone who disobeys him, but to redeem them. Salvation comes from the Lord. You see that? This is a very different expression of what just happened above water. When he was on the boat and in the middle of the storm, he says, death comes from God. He wants me to throw me over. But down in the depths, in the belly of this fish, he finally begins to see the heart of God in such a truer way 
that all the times before when he spoke about the heart of God, he didn't even know what he was talking about. Only until now when it's his life that's hanging in the balance. When he's already actually given up his life and given himself up for dead and thrown himself into the water and been sinking in the bottom of the ocean for three days. He finally says salvation comes from the Lord. A lot can happen to a person in three days. Plans can be dashed, hopes can be squashed, or life can rise. Up from the grave, up from the pit, hope can rise in just three days. And Jonah says, there is grace available. No matter what the storm is, no matter how many times you've turned your back on God, no matter whether you are currently running away from God and got yourself in a mess you can't get out of, there is grace available. Even if you're in the belly of a fish or in the belly of your fish, the one that's got you trapped, where you are no longer in control of your life, your relationships, your job, your financial situation, and when you are there, Jonah says there is grace available. God still wants you. God will not let you go. That's why he sent the fish. God will not abandon you. That's why he waits for three days and waits. And he may have waited longer. And when Jonah says salvation comes from God, then the fish put him on dry land. See, Jonah's prophetic word, he had, come, he had to believe it before it could come to pass. As a messenger from God, he had to believe in the heart of God before his message could have any power. And he had to proclaim it that way. He had to speak these words out loud with a song of thanksgiving. He had to make the sacrifice of his will and of his heart. He had to say, I believe you now. Even though there is no evidence in this moment to support my claims because he's in the fish. Even though I've been sitting here and waiting to die, even though I've been hoping and I had misjudged your character, I finally see and now I'm claiming that I will yet again look toward the holy temple, that you have heard my cry even though I'm here, that you have rescued me up, that you have given me life up from the grave even though I'm still in the grave. I don't think you understand what I'm trying to tell you. Because some of us are in the grave right now. And we're just going through the motions here. This is our three-day experience. Some of us are sitting here in this church right now, and we are in the grave. We're in the belly of some fish, and we're just waiting. We're just passing time. We know we already threw in the towel spiritually, relationally, emotionally, and we're just waiting. And we're thinking, when is this going to expire? I don't feel anything. I don't think anything. I have no hope. And we're in the belly. And Jonah says, even where you are right now, right there, right there in this place, where you have given up on yourself and given up on God, there is still grace. There is still grace. God is still God. And there is still grace. And you've got to call it out for yourself. You've got to claim it for yourself. You've got to proclaim it for yourself and for your family.
and for your friends and for your community and for your church. And when you do that, when you begin to cry out in the name of God, when you begin to cry out in your distress and saying to God, I know where I am and I know maybe, maybe there's no way out of this, but I will still call on your name and I will still believe in you and I will still proclaim that you are good. Then life will rise from the pit and hope will rise in your heart and salvation will rise in your home and at your work because the God of heavens has spoken it because that's who he is because that's what he's always promised and that's what he's always delivered the word of God never leaves him and returns to him empty it always accomplishes his tasks and when God says there will be life there life will rise the ground cannot hold him back the earth cannot suppress him the depths cannot drown him God will rise because he is God he is your God he is my God and no amount of wrong that you have done can make him stop loving you And no amount of doubt that you have in your heart can make him stop pursuing you. Apostle Paul says, there is nothing, not up there, not down there, that can separate us from the love of God. So wherever you are right this moment, there is grace. You might just be in day two. (laughs) I'm with you. This might just be day two for you. When that third day comes, you just say these words. In my distress, I called to God, and he listened to my cry. You just say these words. There is grace at the throne of grace. You just say these words. Salvation comes from God. I trust you. Deliver me. When your third day comes, cling Not to worthless idols or to your own wits or to your expertise or to your experience. Don't cling to that. Cling only to the grace that comes from God through Christ Jesus. That's the only place salvation can come from. And I believe and I have seen in these last three days that God delivers people from the pit. There is grace for you too.